Get ready to listen, learn, and earn CE hours. This podcast features content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Hello, and thank you for joining in to listen to a thought-provoking and, dare I say, controversial conversation today. I'm Leanna McGuire, your host for this Elite Learning Podcast by Calibri Healthcare. We want to discuss something today that has been brewing for years. Should nurses have to share their personal information regarding their mental health and or their psychiatric history for licensure renewal? Let's allow a moment for you to consider that a little bit. What are your initial thoughts? Is there any kind of gut feeling leaning one way or another? If you're a nurse preparing to take your nursing board exam, or if you have been a nurse for any length of time, what would you do if you look at your information for obtaining a license or renewing an existing license and see a question about divulging your personal mental health history? In some states, this is an issue that nurses face. One of the purposes for this podcast is to analyze and better comprehend the issue of disclosure of nurses' psychiatric history or current mental health information as connected to licensure. Through the podcast episodes, we will review the current controversial issue about disclosure, discuss how the Americans with Disabilities Act, or ADA, might weigh in on this conversation, and consider reasons for and against collecting this kind of information. We're joined by three experts today who are definitely top choices for discussing these issues. Dr. Judy Davidson, Dr. Marie Manthe, and Dr. Margaret Halter. Some may recognize Dr. Davidson and Dr. Manthe as the influential nurse leaders from Nurse Suicide and Substance Use Disorder, The Shocking Truth, another of our elite learning podcasts by Calibri Healthcare. We have the privilege of also talking with Dr. Margaret Halter, who you go by Peggy, correct? Correct. And we're thrilled to have all of you here. Here is a brief introduction of each of our subject matter experts today. Dr. Judy Davidson is a nurse scientist and thought leader whose research has centered on suicide of healthcare professionals, suicide prevention, workplace wellness, and second victim syndrome a nurse scientist, editor of Nursing Journal, and educational consultant. She has a wealth of information to share with us today. Dr. Marie Manthe has many claims to nursing prominence. She was a founder of Primary Nursing Care Delivery, who was named a living legend of the American Academy of Nursing in 2015. She is currently President Emeritus of Creative Healthcare Management and spends much time talking and spreading awareness about mental health and substance use disorders. Dr. Peggy Halter is a PhD prepared advanced practice registered nurse. Her expertise includes undergraduate and graduate psychiatric nursing and program development. Dr. Halter currently edits a leading psychiatric nursing undergraduate textbook and serves on several volunteer mental health focused boards. Health policy is another area of interest, and she has held local, state, and national leadership positions as an advocate for the profession of nursing and our patients. Dr. Davidson, is there anything you would like to add by way of introducing yourself? No, I think you captured it. I think the work on suicide and suicide prevention um, that our research team focuses on will surely give us a little bit of special information for today's program. Excellent. Dr. Manthe, anything you would like to add? 
for the last 10 years, I've been really significantly involved in helping nurses overcome the stigma and shame that's associated with substance use disorder. Fantastic. Dr. Halter, is there anything you would like to add to introduce yourself to the audience? Uh, just, I'm really glad to be here today. Um, thanks for having me. I'd like to add that my research focus has long been on mental illness stigma. So today's topic is quite a passion for me. Fantastic. Great. So there's been a developing issue that has been brewing over the years, as we discussed. As nurses, we understand the importance of HIPAA and the value of personal and private health-related information. There's a certain amount of privacy and confidentiality that patients and their healthcare providers respect to help enable truthfulness in discussing health behavior and illnesses. Privacy is valued for encouraging provision of care, treatment, and patient education. On the other hand, the National Council of State Boards of Nursing describes how it was established over a century ago to help protect the public by interventions such as regulating nursing practice, administering nursing licensure, checking for compliance issues, and oversight needed to help ensure that licensed nurses are held to professional standards and that unlicensed, even non-healthcare persons, can't easily masquerade as licensed professionals. However, between these two ends of the spectrum is a gray area. How much information should licensing boards have access to when it comes to personal health information? And how much personal information should nurses supply in the interests of public and professional good? We have a lot of questions here, so let's discuss. We'll start with Dr. Davidson. Your research interest is on suicide and suicide prevention. Why is this issue related to your research? Well, we didn't go about looking to find this. In fact, we were shocked when we found this, but we found a direct link between the fear of losing your license and suicide. We found this same thing occurring in nurses, doctors, and pharmacists. Our team takes the MVDRS, the National Violent Death uh, Reporting System data from the CDC, and we read through the death narratives of every nurse, doctor, and pharmacist who has died by suicide. Uh, we've read all the narratives since 2003, and far too often those death narratives include an account of the struggles that a health professional goes through when they think they're going to lose their license because of a mental health issue um, that may include substance use disorder. So the two are linked in a way that we had not known in the past. Um, in fact, many of you might be aware of a, a very, very highly publicized case of Dr. Lorna Green, who died um, within the last uh, couple of years uh, during the pandemic, suffering from depression. Her family describes that her fear of the medical board um, finding out that she had depression prevented her from get, receiving adequate treatment. And they attribute this, uh, the intrusive questions on medical boards, the, like what we're talking about today in nursing, to be one of the factors associated with her death. So there's many issues that could stigmatize against nurses seeking mental health care. One of them, just one of them, one of the many issues is what we're talking about today, the intrusive questions on licensure. A second problem is mandatory reporting of mental health uh, conditions to the state boards. And a third problem is the way that we treat and process nurses with substance use disorder or other mental health conditions. But today we're going to focus on just that issue of intrusive questions regarding mental health asked by some states on licensure. 
I want the audience to know that the Joint Commission and the Surgeon General have both issued reports stating outright that we need to remove these stigmatizing questions from use by the licensing boards, but it has not happened yet. Okay, interesting. There are some discussions and comments online of different nurses who reported various information about psychiatric treatment or mental health issues, and then say how it became publicly noted after working through issues with the Board of Nursing or court or other ways that information came to light. Have you heard of anything like this? Uh, this is Peggy Halter. Um, I am personally not aware of any cases in which mental health conditions were made public. I suppose they could be, especially if a malpractice case goes to court. Okay. Now, there's a thought-provoking article from 2019 titled State Nursing Licensure Questions About Mental Illness and Compliance with the Americans with Disability Act by Halter, Rollin, Adamashek, and Leidenheim, and Hutchins. By the way, this is Dr. Halter, whom we are privileged to have on this podcast today. As of 2018, the author said 30 of 51 licensing boards inquired about nurses' statuses with regard to mental illness in some shape or form. The article used the term mental illness to refer to what it found from those boards. How long has this been an interest of yours? And can you tell us about why you did this study, Dr. Halter? Yeah, sure. Mental health stigma, that is the perception that someone is flawed based on having a mental illness, was the focus of my doctoral dissertation in 2003. Specifically, I explored the connection between stigmatizing attitudes and its impact on future help seeking for depression. From there, my research included stigma by association, whereby family members, friends, and even mental health workers are stigmatized simply by their association to the individual with mental illness. I found that topic fascinating. Mm -hmm. Being a faculty member, I began to recognize a third type of stigma, that is, a structural stigma over a decade ago. It began with a senior nursing student who approached me at the, my, the university where I taught. She explained that she was completing the application to take the state board examination. They are asking about treatment for psychiatric conditions, she said, and I've been treated for a bipolar disorder. She became tearful, hardly able to talk. She says, after four years of hard work, I'm not going to be able to be a nurse. Oh, I felt so bad for her. Yeah. yeah. I acknowledged her fear, but assured her that treatment would not be a barrier to her nursing candidacy. But that experience put me into action. I thought, what can I do about this? I mean, what possibly can the state board be doing with the answers to these questions? I contacted the State Board of Nursing and asked for the rationale behind asking if a person had ever been treated for a mental illness. Their first response was, well, we do that because that's what the medical association does. We use the same wording. And I said, no, that doesn't sound right. Okay, I said, but what is the purpose of the question? The board member responded, to protect the public. Hmm. Although I pressed the issue, I didn't receive a reasonable response on how collecting information about psychiatric treatment and collecting records protect the public. After all, is not getting treatment a safer approach? Yeah. Um, I recognize these types of questions as a sort of organizational or structural stigma. After all, the highest law of the land in nursing is suggesting to students who receive treatment that they are flawed. 
Disturbingly, on my state's renewal application, the question about mental illness appears right before, are you required to register as a sex offender? Hmm. Questions are right next to each other. Wow. Sends a message, doesn't it? It certainly does. So I worked with my state's association, to, that is Ohio Nurses Association, to bring my concerns to the board. And we actually had an agenda item on the quarterly meeting agenda. And we were, in fact, awarded with um, time to speak at the meeting. And we did. They listened. And nothing changed. <laughs> Around the same time, the U.S. Department of Justice was alleging that the Louisiana Bar Association violated the Americans with Disabilities Act by asking discriminatory questions. Subsequently, psychologists conducted a systematic study on their applications. After that time, James Jones, a professor of law from the University of Kentucky, contacted me in 2017. He sent an email, and he'd heard of my interest in eliminating stigmatizing questions from state board applications. He shared his work as a legal consultant, along with physician colleagues, on a study that evaluated all medical state board applications for compliance with the ADA. I was so excited by this email. I, I realized that the path to conduct my own study had already been forged. I got to work doing that right afterwards. I recruited a couple of nurse colleagues along with an attorney, and the work began. Wow, what an interesting story. In regard to the 2019 study, it had to have been very difficult to obtain all that data. Well, it could have been. <laughs> However, graduate nursing assistants are a precious commodity. Hmm. These students collected all of the U.S. and the District of Columbia Board of Nursing pre-licensure applications. They were pretty easy to get, actually. They gathered most of them online. Um, a few they had to request uh, by mail because they weren't available electronically. Are there, uh, it sounds like most boards of nursing are asking for this kind of information. Are there plans to update this to see if we are making any progress? Yes, let me just give you a little background of what I found in my study. Um, as of spring of 2018, 30 of RN licensing boards asked questions about mental illness on pre-licensure applications. Hmm. Of the 30 schools that asked questions, eight focused on current disability, and you're allowed to ask questions under the ADA about current disability, by the way. That left 22 states that were not compliant, not in compliance with the ADA. I recently found a 2021 survey by the National Council of State Boards of Nursing from 2020, yeah, 2021, that's when they did it. Mm -hmm. They found that 37 state boards of nursing ask about, listen to this, it's kind of tricky. They ask about sound physical and or mental health. And that's how NCSBN reported the data. So I'm not sure how to tease that out when they mix physical and mental health. It seems like if you look at their data, that with 37 state boards asking questions, that it looks like it's the, the number of questions have actually increased over the four years, but I can't really tell for sure. Mm -hmm. But what's been interesting to me is over the years, I've received feedback about our article from a few nursing boards. Um, and it's mostly been positive. Um, hopefully this information shined a light on a real problem and that the problem was addressed in some cases. The only way to know if changes have been made in the intervening years is to repeat the study. And actually one of my colleagues and I are in the early stages of making this happen. Hmm. 
But we face a hurdle in collecting licensure applications that, that wasn't there in 2018. I think we will act to actually get paper copies of the application. Otherwise, the nursing graduate students will have to actually make accounts in Wyoming, Mississippi, et cetera, and have their names and information all out there, if it would even work. I don't know. Anyway, it will be done again. Anything to add, Dr. Davidson? Yes, thanks. There, there's more to this than meets the eye. Dr. Halters uh, studied the use of the questions for licensure and relicensure in normal situations. However, the questions are also asked for a third purpose, for the reason of disciplinary hearings, when it's being considered whether a nurse should keep their license or whether it should be reinstated after a period of being suspended. Mm. Um, I actually hear from nurses who are going through this and the pain that is associated with actually looking at those questions and wondering what the state board is going to do with it and whether answering truthfully will result in them not receiving their license. Mm. So even if your state's in the clear from Dr. Halter's report, we still need to evaluate whether the ADA non-compliant questions are being used for disciplinary evaluations and hearings. And I'd like to propose that this be something we track as a profession. Why should we need to do a study repeatedly over and over? Can't we take the baseline and put it up on the NCSBM website and then have it tracked uh, at a national level over time? Maybe even rewarding states for making the changes towards healthier practices that are less stigmatizing. Create some kind of award system to um, and best practice and shine light on exemplars that are doing the right thing. Wouldn't that be the way to go in the future. And I'm hoping we can stimulate that kind of change. It certainly would. Yes, I, I agree. Do you, do you have any data on the prevalence or how common it is for adults in general in the United States or even nurses specifically to have been diagnosed already with any kind of mental health issue? Are we talking about a small portion or large percentage of either group who would be affected by the questioning of licensure? I'll just start off with some general data. Um, the sheer numbers of people with mental illness is very high, and nurses likely mirror, if not surpass, these numbers. Mm. Um, according to the World Health Organization in 2019, one in every eight people in the world were living with a mental illness, with anxiety and depressive disorders being the most common. In the U.S., estimates are even higher, with uh, one in five people estimated having a mental disorder. That's a lot of people. Yeah, it really is. And then, you know, due to the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020, the number of people living with anxiety and depressive disorders rose significantly. Estimates indicate that they vary, but one that I got was um, there was a 27% increase for both anxiety and major depressive disorders in that one mm. year alone. Yeah, I'd like to take this a little further. Um, uh, sure. Did you know that the CDC reports that one in five Americans is taking a medication to treat a mental health condition? Google mm -hmm. that up. It's really easy to find. So uh, what benefit would it be to the boards to know this? If the nurses actually disclose this information truthfully, what would they do with all this information? How would it be helpful? Somewhere between one in seven and one in 10 Americans have substance use issues. And there's no reason to believe that it's any different in nurses. So mm. stigmatizing these conditions to the masses and um, encouraging them to be in a situation where they either have to lie or be in fear 
is just doesn't seem like the right path to take. Think about our code of ethics. What does our code of ethics teach us in nursing? We should not put nurses in a situation that we know can stimulate moral distress. Moral distress being prevented from doing the thing that you think is right. And in these stigmatizing questions do just that. I want to lean on the American Nurses Foundation study that's been done over the pandemic. In 2021, they asked over 9,500 nurses about their mental health. A third of them, a third, had sought treatment over the last year, but only 80% could find the treatment they needed. Of those that did not seek treatment, a full half of those thought they needed treatment, but something prevented them. So all in all, about 60% of our workforce who answered this survey had mental health issues that the nurse themselves perceived needed treatment. Now, this is gonna shock you, 4% had suicidal thoughts in the last two weeks prior to the survey. That's hundreds of nurses. 1% had actually harmed themselves. 3% had substance use issues that they disclosed on the survey. And substance use disorder, I have to remind the audience, is a mental health disorder that's treatable, but untreated can lead to suicide. Mm. So these are staggering numbers, staggering numbers that we definitely need to pay attention to. So this concern of stigmatizing nurses against seeking treatment by the questions we ask on licensure is a very important topic. Oh, it certainly is. Let's also consider the stress of being a healthcare worker, a nurse, an in-the-trenches provider of care, so to speak. Caring for persons in life-or-death situations can take a toll on nurses over time. Most of the time, a person seeks treatment, medical or psychiatric, related to an issue or problem of some kind. Usually, people don't come in to be seen because they feel like their health is great or A+. So just the stress and emotional aspects of caring for people experiencing disease, chronic health concerns, or other matters of maladaptive health requires a lot of energy. A nurse can easily be drained with multiple responsibilities, both at work and at home. Would reporting information to a board help? Wouldn't something that helps nurses before treatment is needed or when treatment is needed accomplish more than reporting? Or is that the purpose of reporting, to facilitate treatment? That's why the wording of these questions is so important. Let's get into specifics. Like a bad question will ask about specific diagnoses or whether you have received mental health treatment. Now let's consider a revised question. This one was recently drafted um, by a group called the, uh, the Lorna Breen Foundation to be used by the medical boards for physicians. And when I contacted the Lorna Breen Foundation, They told me there is no reason that the profession of nursing cannot adopt these same strategies to take um, action and improve our situation as nurses. Mm. So the question drafted for use by uh, medical boards is, are you currently suffering from any condition for which you are not being appropriately treated that impairs your judgment or that would otherwise adversely affect your ability to practice in a competent, ethical, and professional manner? Yes or no right? So that you see the difference there. It's not about whether you receive treatment or have a treatable condition, but instead whether there is something right now that would make it dangerous for you to be a nurse. Um, However, unless it's for the purpose of a disciplinary hearing, I don't see why this question should be asked at all. What are they going to do with this information? And would a person whose truth of the matter is yes, would they actually disclose it? 
Asking the question routinely without due cause decreases the perception of safety, increasing stigma. I think Dr. Halter would agree with me that this only increases stigma if the question is asked routinely. Stigma against seeking the health care that these people need. Right. Dr. Manthe, do you think reporting helps facilitate treatment or connecting people to resources? You know, I wish I could say, yes, it's a wonderful thing and it always works and gets people the help that they need, but quite the contrary. Mm. Um, in, in the area that I've spent most of my life in uh, lately, the substance use disorder issue in particular, it carries with a person, whatever action is taken, is carried with the person's career throughout their lifetime, actually because it becomes part of a permanent record and is available to anybody who's looking at the license of a person. Um, it terrifies nurses, when, especially when they are already getting treatment. Maybe they've gone to a treatment facility on their own nickel mm -hmm. and they've gotten the help that they need and they're in a program process of recovery and it's time to answer that question. And they know if they say yes, truthfully, they're going to be asked to explain it. And that'll become part, in the state of Minnesota, that becomes part of the permanent license record. Right. If they say no, then they are being dishonest, which we learn pretty quickly in recovery, totally jeopardizes the recovery. Secrecy is dangerous sure. to people in recovery. Yeah. So the issue of reporting um, sub regarding substance use disorder and chemical dependency is fraught with danger for nurses, and it totally terrifies nurses. Yeah, It is very difficult. And then on the other hand, take the nurse who's, got, who's in recovery and is doing really well, and now she wants to expose the conspiracy of silence. She wants to open that up to a, a, a process of recovery of a disease, and she decides to start talking about her recovery. If she's interested in a promotion later on in her career, that's going to follow her and it's going to impact the kind of decisions that her potential employers will make. So it's fraught with danger both yeah. ways. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. It's time to conclude episode one of this podcast. Please return for episode two as we continue discussing possible issues surrounding sharing mental health and psychiatric history information with licensing boards. A sincere thank you to Drs. Davidson, Halter, and Manthe for joining me. This is Leanna McGuire for Elite Learning by Calibri Healthcare. This podcast featured content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Take your learning to the next level by subscribing to more podcasts on compelling healthcare topics.